0: You're listening to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. A solution to the digital divide among students with and without internet access at home has been available for some time. Why has it not been utilized? You're listening to the messenger of good news worldwide, KFUO, Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. We're going to find out more about that digital divide and a potential solution. Thanks to our underwriter, Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting Faith and Family. Find out more about them on our website, kfuo.org. Joining me in studio today, Kevin Walker. He's the founder and president of Project Appleseed, a nonprofit that fosters family engagement with schools quite often in the area of technology. Kevin, welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. Uh, Pleasure to have you in studio today. Thanks for accepting my invitation. Come over and talk about technology, families, and education, Uh, and and a little bit about your organization, too, Project Appleseed. Uh, Tell me a little bit about the organization. Project Appleseed
1: is a grassroots education organization started by parents. Uh, We started in the St. Louis community of University City. Um, I was a parent who was at home with uh, four children. Um, I lived down the street from school. I was not a particularly involved father. Went to strategic planning one night and decided to volunteer. Inside that process, I found out that what the community really wanted was more parent involvement. And my background in community organizing gave me a lot of uh, insight as to how to do that. What
0: does parent involvement look like from your perspective?
1: Parent involvement is really a unique thing. a set of skills and set of things that parents do. There are six types of parental involvement. If you even Google that, you'll find a wealth of resources that have been inspired by uh, Professor Joyce Epstein at Johns Hopkins. But parental involvement means communicating, decision-making, learning at home, um, being able to do the things for your child that are required in different situations,
0: whether that be at home and school. Now, I think you just mentioned just Google something. A a function, an act that many of us might take for granted because it requires a resource. It requires a resource
1: that many parents don't have. Nationwide, 30% of parents are not connected to the Internet. Um, that's a problem. When children are in school and they are assigned homework, uh, that homework... A lot of times has to be done with the connectivity uh, online at home. Uh, it, advanced placement teachers say that 79% of the work that they assign is online. So children at the bottom, children in poverty, children who are in need can't get that access if 30% or more are online. Here in the community that I live in, in St. Louis, in St. Louis City, nearly 50% of the parents are not connected. They don't even have a device. They need digital equity, they need training, they need a device, they need
0: broadband. So we're, we're really at a point in time where there's a gap. We know we, we started with internet dial-up back in what, the nineties. Yep. With with dial up and that lovely squawking sound. <laughs> Love AOL. I miss it. <laughs> and, and and it was really an exciting time as we, we learned what it was and and as the the, the value of that and the, the price of that have changed have grown, too. What does Internet access look like for many families? We, we went from dial-up then to, to DSL and cable, high-speed, now a variety of forms of, of Internet, broadband Internet, that many families have, but many families don't. How does that Internet connectivity shape education in, let's start with a classroom, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move to home. For the classroom... Um, Education is
1: not uh, magically delivered on tablets and electronic devices. The education is not enhanced uh, magically by digital technology. It is a tool which teachers use for certain skills for at certain times. It is not how education is going to be delivered wholesale to your three-year-old in, you know, five or six years. What we have is an opportunity to use a tool to its maximum. In the classroom, that means that the school has to have enough bandwidth to actually use that connectivity. There's an issue in that. Uh, rural schools have no connectivity at all. They have literally not a T1 line connected to their building. In urban places, they might, but it's still not big enough. What we're looking at is what does it take for the 21st century classroom to function with enough bandwidth so that 25 kids can all participate at one time and is there enough digital technology in the hands of individual students, one-to-one computing, so that students will be able to keep up with what the teacher's talking about. Kids don't have to team up. They can do individual learning. So we want there to be an opportunity for classrooms to have bandwidth and the technology in the hands of each student.
0: That technology in the hands of students. Have textbooks been replaced by technology? No. Um, Textbooks
1: will always, at least in my opinion, be necessary because books are always going to be necessary. Human beings like books. They like to touch books. Books are convenient data sources. They may be a little bit fatter than the old floppy disk drive,
0: but they serve a purpose. Um, But as a student, I liked the the flexibility of not having to carry four books with me when I was... Know, taking graduate studies and in, 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 in college classes later in life when the electronic books became available, it was much easier to have something either on my laptop or on a tablet, mm-hmm. not have to carry around those giant textbooks that mm-hmm. it just weighed so much.
1: Depends on the school district you're in. If you're in a suburban school district like the one I live in where the superintendent tells me I have full one-to-one with every student in my my school district, all 3,300 are good. Uh, I go four miles over to a school district that isn't so wealthy and the superintendent tells me, I have none of my students covered at home. I have 80% covered in, in the building. That is if we use every single machine that I have. And not all of them work. And not all of them have uh, connectivity that will get to the next lesson fast enough with the bandwidth we have. Those questions still hang, linger out there, and there hasn't been enough private and federal support to get those questions answered yet. We're still in the early adoption age for rural schools to get broad, uh, broadband and digital technology in the hands of each student. In urban schools, it's known, but there is a financial and a policy rift and that keeps it from happening.
0: Why is it important for us to make this transition to 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 have for students to have access to this technology and to have you know the the bandwidth at school? We'll we'll talk about home too in a little bit. Why is it important for us? Is it you know is this just a fad uh, that doesn't it seem like a it's, fad it's, at it's, times? Is it just because we want our students to have the latest coolest thing? Why is it important for students to have? Uh, one, reliable internet service, and, and, and two, the technology on which to, to, uh, to, to study, to learn, to collaborate. Why is it important to have that technology, whether it's a, a laptop or a tablet?
1: It's important to have, because in the future, students' uh, in entire individual educational portfolio, what you've learned and what you're learning will be online. You'll be able to take that into lifelong learning anywhere. Everything you've done from elementary to junior high to high school, will be sort of in a platform that your college or university can look at and say, here are the skills that you've done, here's what we can do next. It's sort of like looking at an entire patient profile in one picture. But in terms of what is needed for the individual, we have to look at the fact that networking among human beings, social networking is done online, looking for a job is done online, commerce is done online. Um, Our lives really center around getting into that computer screen, to do those skills that are necessary for interacting with the world so that we can survive. It is the new public square. It is the new way that uh, we talk to each other. Delivering information online, uh, such as education, uh, is more convenient, but it also prepares students for the things that they're gonna do in the future to sustain themselves, to eat, to live, to work and play. All those things will require connectivity.
0: Let's look then at home. We've talked about you know devices in the classroom. When a student can have access at home, when, whether they have a a school issued laptop or tablet or their own personal device at home, they can do their homework on that that device. The advantage of having internet access opens a lot of doors gives a lot of opportunities i would think gives them access to digital resources if they're writing a paper mm-hmm. to uh, to educational videos that might supplement what they've already learned in the classroom or or maybe the the teacher is producing videos uh, elaborate a little bit more on that that use of technology
1: for well, the students one thing at home that we want to get across at home on uh, digital technology at home is number 1 we want to familiarize the parent with that technology. We want the parent to be able to go into the school district's portal, into the parent portal and look up the homework assignment, number one, to make sure homework's being done. Two, was my kid at school today? You're a high school student and your parent doesn't know where you are, your parent will be able to go online and see whether or not you actually checked in at 7.30 in the morning in your first hour class. Uh, Your parent will be able to see your corrected homework your parent will be able to talk to your teacher. That communication is number one. The thing that we want to get, get through to places that don't have connectivity is that parents have to take the responsibility to know that they need it at home. Two, uh, the learning at home that happens, we want parents to be engaged with their child in that learning. So those two things together, research shows is powerful. Um, there have been lots of studies that showed that when parents simply get a text message by phone, about good parenting tips they actually improve the parenting skills of those parents to the point that academic achievement is improving and the bottom line in all this activity is that we're pushing academic achievement up by engaging parents in the actual things the students are doing and all that information is online so we're going to be offering uh, nationwide we're involved with everyone on it is a coalition of nonprofits and it groups that allow um parents who don't have access to the internet, to get internet for less than $10 a month. Uh, You can get a tablet for $99. Uh, It lowers the cost on getting onto the information superhighway and allows parents to really say to themselves, okay, this is for me and my child, and we're gonna use this, Uh, what, $100 for a tablet? $10 Ten dollars for internet—that's about two hundred dollars a year. That's an investment for that family to engage with that student.
0: What is the struggle that that teachers face when it comes to this divide in their classroom? They have students who have internet access, and the, you know they can take the school-issued laptop or tablet home, do their homework. They have access at home, um, internet access. They can do their homework, but yet they have. A certain number of students in that class, some schools 30%, some schools 50%, have no internet access at home. They might have that school-issued laptop or tablet, but they can only do the work that's contained on that device. They have no connectivity, so no access to uh, all those those other cloud-based or internet-based right. resources. What's the struggle these teachers face?
1: These teachers are facing a struggle in that when you have a child with a tablet in the classroom uh, and you have an assignment, that means that they can go online and get outside resources as well as the internal textbook that is uh, available to them. But for those kids who don't have anything, their learning literally stops. It halts what that teacher's lesson plan uh, is trying to do. Uh, 30% of those kids can't just be given another assignment those kids have to have connectivity and her assignment his assignment has to make sure that whatever that child is doing can be done at school and at home otherwise you have to split up kids on machines in the building then you have to put teams of kids together to work together at school that project has to be done in school can't be taken home it really makes the learning atmosphere a lot more diced up in terms of how does that teacher uh, deliver one simple lesson plan to 25, 30 students in a way that is congruent for everybody that is that is that works for each and every child in an even way? We're talking about equity. Um, not having digital access is one of the big civil rights issues going forward. It's not about color. It's about do I have the money? Do I have the access, the funding? to stay caught up in this classroom. And
0: if I don't, uh, who's gonna help me? You shared in your recent newsletter for Project Appleseed about one school district that made use of technology that is really, it, it's been available, but nobody's really utilizing it, except this this one school is starting to uh, to try to tap into that. Tell us about that technology and how it's being utilized.
1: Educational Broadband Service is the service that you're talking about. Educational Broadband Service is an FCC program. Back uh, about 10 years ago, the FCC changed the way that they were going to let all of our telecom companies, of everybody from AT&T to Verizon to Sprint, how they were going to deliver their product. Each of the EBS licenses that were given to school districts, like a license for a TV station or a radio station is given by the FCC to a local entity. The FCC went around and gave these licenses to nonprofits, colleges, uh, and, and to school districts and said, this is broadband spectrum space in which a signal goes out. You can rent this space out to a company so that they can use it for their customers or you can use it for your students. Uh, The students that you're talking about in Alba Marie, um, their educators put up an educational broadband service Wi-Fi system that literally covered the entire school district, meaning the school district has free broadband for each and every kid that has been provided by the federal government and is being paid for pretty much by a a telephone company. Um, In this example... Um, educational broadband delivers free broadband to every child in that district so that no matter where you go, you're plugged in. The district also took the money that they received from renting out that educational broadband to those telephone companies. They gave each and every student a device, each and every student, so that no household wasn't covered with the device, and that the signal went out
0: district-wide, that's what we want. So they were able to get the signal to every home, Of every child in that district yes so that the students all had internet access in their homes yes what were what were the challenges they faced in in attempting to do that that seems quite daunting
1: technical technical challenges of erecting towers becoming an internet uh, service provider that school district had to muscle up on its technology knowledge Um, but the amount of money they were receiving from the telecom company uh, pretty much uh, the the millions of dollars that they receive made it worth it. Uh, the district still came out ahead. Uh, they made profits and they put up a Wi-Fi system that covered everybody. A lot of school districts and nonprofits have this capability, but they didn't build out their broadband network. They let it sit. And um, what the article you're referring to in Wired magazine last week, do-it-yourself uh, broadband network. Um, a lot of school districts don't understand what they have. Nonprofits don't understand that these EBS uh, licenses, you can build out a broadband network that will cover an entire city. Uh, it's expensive for that nonprofit to do, but you're being paid for that. Um, so what we're encouraging EBS licensees across the country to do is to sit back and say, wait a minute. I have this ability. If I spent a couple of million dollars, I'd be able to provide broadband for everybody in my community. You know, broadband, Andy, is like the road coming to your front door. Mm -hmm. If the road doesn't come to your house, you're not going to get groceries. You're not going to be able to go to work. You're not going to be able to go to school. And we want that broadband road to be driven up to everyone's home. Uh, President Obama and his administration. They really tried in the last three years to make sure this was going to happen. So, uh, they got together with Apple, AT&T, and Verizon. And um, those three companies decided to give about $200 million worth of free broadband and equipment away. But the need is much bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Educational broadband in this country is is what is needed. Uh, but it is probably about $100 billion worth of effort.
0: In the school that did build their own infrastructure they made use of this ebs uh, that was available to them in this school have we seen results from this uh, from solving the the digital divide in their district did, no. did that did that solve the problem for it them it
1: solved the problem in terms of what the school district knew the parents had it does not solve the problem for the entire community because you still have senior citizens who aren't connected you still have people without means who don't have children, who aren't connected, and they need services. Uh, having free broadband throughout town, that helped. But they still need devices. And they, and what is more important for the people who are left out, they, don't need, they just don't need the devices. They need training on how to use the devices. Mm-hmm. Um, so public libraries, everyone on is our coalition name. You can Google that one, too. Everyone On provides free training at public libraries all across the country where you can go tonight and participate in understanding, how do I work a computer? How do I compute? What is the digital divide doing uh, to keep me
0: off the road to success? The, what are the, the limitations or even the roadblocks that the school district, I believe was in Virginia, the, mm-hmm. the, they faced when they built this infrastructure and, and, and implemented the system?
1: The first thing the first roadblock is understanding what the technology is so you have this license and you know the fcc has broadband Uh, i have a lot of experience with this because i did this here in st louis the the whole notion of what broadband was did not even come into being until 2007 2008 in a major consumer way until the iphone was introduced people didn't know that there were going to be mobile devices connected to an internet signal off of a cell phone tower miles or blocks away and that mobile computing was not something that is known over the last 10 years what we found out is that number one most ebs licensees don't know they have the capability to build out a broadband network that's number one number two they haven't looked at digital equity as something that they should be involved in I addressed uh, a few years ago uh, a a conference of EBS licensees, and I said to everyone in the room, how many of you, community colleges, uh, local universities around the nation, actually have a connection with families whose kids are failing in school? Hmm. And everybody just kind of looked at each other. I said, if you don't have a connection with families who have kids who are failing, you have failed in delivering broadband, because that means that you're not on everybody's street. That means that you haven't driven your signal up to the door of every household in the area that you cover. So we're trying to get educational broadband licensees to understand that there is a broader community responsibility to deliver this. And one, get over the technology uh, barriers because building out the network, uh, telephone companies will help you do that. Building out in the community, they need to survey their entire community to find out, what is lacking in broadband and ambulance service city service uh, police service all things that broadband can be used by community
0: members it, do i understand correctly that one of the one of the limitations of this service in the the school district in virginia was that only school issued devices could access this network is that right yes but
1: in the in the practice the larger practice you can make any device connect it depends on the kind of network you're building out. Uh, I think in that uh, Virginia example, that network was a closed network um, uh, inside the buildings, but there was an open network on the outside. So there's like t- it's a
0: two-tiered system. I see. I see. And and in this particular example, they utilized that option to rent some of that spectrum, that 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 bandwidth to and they rent to commercial. That, yes, and when they
1: rent that commercial spectrum. Um, it literally generates millions of dollars, uh, and that millions Which pays of the bills. Right, it pays the bills, and that millions of dollars. What we're trying to say should be reinvested in the community.
0: Now, you mentioned we've talked about public schools and nonprofit organizations, other organizations that are eligible for this. Oh
1: gosh, yes. <laughs> um, the biggest EBS licensees in the country are religious organizations. Um, The Catholic Church actually sued the FCC a few years ago to make sure that these licenses were available um, to nonprofits that served uh, religious communities. Um, Nonprofits uh, that are also associated with uh, denominational schools uh, also have licenses. The question is, does the board of that school understand what they have? And it was licensed somewhat like 20 years ago, in some cases 30 Uh, The license that I help here in St. Louis is almost 25 years old, and it's seen probably
0: 200 people on its board, and we still don't know what to do with it. We are just about out of time. I want to make sure that listeners can find out more about your organization as well, Project Appleseed. What's the uh, the best place to look for that?
1: ProjectAppleseed.org. We're available 24 hours a day. and love to have you, and I will answer any questions you may have. You can email us right
0: there on the front page. Kevin Walker is founder and president of Project Appleseed. It's a nonprofit that fosters family engagement with schools quite often in the area of technology Kevin it has been a pleasure talking with you today. thank you thank you so much for coming Andy, over and sharing thank you, with your us pleasure. very helpful information. you can also share the uh, today's program with friends. Uh, you can uh, visit our website kfuo.org you'll see the archive of the program showing up on our website later on this afternoon. Check it out coming up in just a little bit Sarah Gulseth interviews the Reverend Alan Ludwig. he serves the Lord in Russia. Hope you can stick around for that conversation. Learn about his work as a missionary in Russia. You're listening to Worldwide KFUO, the Messenger of Good News, for over 90 years.